Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Confessions of an Agile Activist. This is Paul Clip, your host. So what I want to talk to, to you today about is the evolution of the way in which my company has developed our reporting strategy. It's, it's changed quite a lot. We've been doing offshore development for six years now. And in that time, we've tried a lot of different solutions. One of the beautiful things about Agile software development is it does allow you to continuously improve your processes rather than prescribing a particular way of doing things. And as a result, we've been changing our processes continuously and getting better and better and better over the years. But specifically, what I want to talk about today is an Agile war story about reporting to offshore customers and product owners, as well as to offshore team members, because we've often found ourselves working with, with either developers or testers who are offshore as well. So here's the story. My company, Lunar Logic Polska, adopted agile development, at least in theory, around 2004, about the, the end of 2004. But adopting agile and excelling at agile are very different things and perfection in this discipline doesn't exist. As any Agilist will tell you, Agile practices don't solve all of your problems, but they do an excellent job of making problems so obvious that you can't ignore them, and then giving the team the freedom that they need to continuously learn and improve. As an offshore development company, reporting is challenging, since some team members, most notably the product owner, are usually off-site. We also sometimes offshore the testing ourselves, as well as uh, our, our clients often have in-house development capacity. And so it's not uncommon for us to have developers in two countries and testers in yet another on the same project team. There are some vocal bloggers and podcasters who've had a bad experience with this kind of an arrangement and have proclaimed it to be completely untenable. But after running dozens of successful projects this way without ever suffering a failure or an unhappy client, I know that, that, that it can work, and this is how we do it. What I want to talk about is a history of all the ways we've tried to keep everyone on the team informed as to the status and progress of our projects over the years to arrive at our current solution, which is very different from our first attempts. Every one of our solutions has worked one way or another, but always there was some dissatisfaction that drove us to look for ways to keep improving. In 2004, we were still using more traditional project management processes, and so our reporting really revolved around assignment statuses for developers and periodic written reports for clients. Email alone wasn't really doing the job, and Skype wasn't a dependable solution for calling back then, so we augmented our, email, our weekly email reports with occasional expensive telephone conference calls. Everybody wanted more timely reporting, and so we wrote our own tool, which we called, not too originally, Dashboard. It prompted project managers to enter daily notes and weekly reports and, bi and, and biweekly expense reports. And then it shared all that data, as well as budget projections, with clients who could add comments. And each time that a client had entered a comment, they could also click on a smiley face or an indifferent face or a frowning face to let us know generally how they were feeling about us at any given point. And anytime somebody clicked the frowning face, the message went straight to the CEO. Then a fantastic thing happened, although it didn't seem so at the time. Our only client, which was in America, that we were partnered with, lost their biggest client. And so we almost went out of business overnight. 
and this was back in early 2005. That crisis gave us the opportunity to completely reinvent ourselves. And the first innovation that I introduced was to start all new clients on agile projects. I'd read all the books available then, which didn't help a lot with the project management aspect, but completely revolutionized our development process. And interestingly, I stumbled on Scrum without knowing what it was, which shows how much of Scrum is just basic common sense. By adopting extreme programming, I was pretty much forced to, to project manage my projects using methodologies very similar to what is now known as Scrum. But this pro- podcast is about reporting, so I should get back to that. There were no good agile reporting tools, in my opinion, in early 2005, and nothing remotely Scrum-related. So, being a struggling small software company, we were drawn to the free open-source tool XPlanner which was unnecessarily complex, uh, basically a story manager with a UI that makes track look lovely. Like any tool, it worked well enough once the team was accustomed to using it. But as many of our projects were small, our clients didn't really have time to learn the tool. Luckily, Skype was getting pretty stable then, so I was able to speak with clients more often and usually found myself entering their data for them into XPlanner and then interpreting the output to them, making XPlanner a workable tool for internal use, but one that led to duplication of effort which, and which didn't really unite the team with the product owner. XPlanner was also good for managing backlog items, but not for building a backlog. I was using a a Word document back then, and I was building the backlog myself and then sending it to the product owner and and going back and forth that way. Um, Eventually, I tried moving that into a wiki, but again, back in 2005, 2006, some of our clients weren't really comfortable working with a wiki. What we really needed was an, an online shared spreadsheet, but Google Docs wasn't up to par yet. I'm not sure if it was invented, but I know that the spreadsheet was really awkward if it, if it was. I was considering, I think it didn't, it, it didn't exist because I was considering writing my own Ajax-based spreadsheet. Um, and if I had, the story of, of the rest of Lunar Logic Polska's history might have been very different, but who knows. In the end, XPlanner only lasted for a few projects, and at about this time, Basecamp was gaining traction. I'm not a big fan of Basecamp, but its popularity meant that it was a tool that my clients were familiar with. So I started using Basecamp lists for user stories, which worked really well with one client, so well, in fact, that we still use Basecamp with that client to this day. But I think that managing stories in Basecamp is is tedious, especially the way dragging and dropping works and the multiple lists work. Um, So for larger projects, it was very awkward. I'd always been a hands-on paper guy. I love my moleskins. I use a real forest-destructive paper-based 43-folder system for getting things done with an index card for every task and project lists on sheets of paper. So it was around 2007 or 2008 that I gave up on online tools and started following the traditional XP Scrum approach of stories on index cards. And the trouble, of course, is sharing the state of, of the index card-based reporting tool with remote team members. So despite the duplication, I recreated the swim lanes 
on a wiki and updated the wiki after every scrum so clients could see the stories listed in groups based on whether they were not started yet, in progress, or complete. And it was about this time that I also started improving my process of building initial backlogs. Rather than building them by brainstorming or by free association or by crawling through whatever functional docu documentation my client might have provided, I developed the approach that I still use and teach today. First, I work with clients to produce the vision statement. Then we identify themes and epics, and then we list the user roles, but not just the technical roles. When it makes sense to do so, we define users based on their goals or their point of view or how they're going to use the application. For example, a medical records management application might have the exact same user role privileges defined for both doctors and nurses. But those two groups of people might use the application in very different ways. One might be more interested in, in reporting and the other might be more interested in, in data entry, for example. So I would list them separately as two different types of users. And then the client and I work through all the epics and themes, writing stories for each user per theme. And I find that, that that structured approach to building the initial backlog really makes the task a lot easier, and it reduces the chances that we'll forget some basic functionality. And I started using Google Docs for that some time ago, and I still do. As for progress reporting, notably the story statuses and the burndown charts during an iteration, Wheat started putting stories in track again, which we, we had adopted as our bug tracking system after we had given up on first our own Java-based client-server bug tracker, which was really cool in a lot of ways, but the interface was ugly and it was more geared towards really big projects. Um, and then we used Bugzilla for a while, but we finally settled on track as, as being reasonably friendly and straightforward. Um, we didn't use the Burndown Creator plugin for track, but we added a field for story points, and I, then I updated the paper-based Burndown charts on the wall each day by counting the number of story points remaining in, the, in track assigned to the current iteration. We defined the, uh, the story management lifecycle in track such that no one could add or change a story to an iteration that was in progress, and developers assigned story tickets to testers when they were done, and testers assigned the story to the ticket to the product owner when all the related bugs associated with that story were closed. And only the product owner was allowed to close a story ticket. Now, the biggest problem that I have and have always had with all of these solutions is that while online tools are easy to manage and expose everyone to the same data in real time, they're not in your face. The beauty of agile development is that it highlights problems early enough to address them before they become a crisis. But to really do that effectively, the data has to be right in your face. A track and Google Docs and, and, and all of these various online tools that have evolved in the, in the last uh, few years, they create reports that are, are small and, and most significantly, they're only visible when the user chooses to log in and look at them. Whereas index cards gliding along swim lanes on a whiteboard and a big sheet of graph paper with a burndown chart drawn on it in big colored markers hanging in the team room, um, or as we do it, in the hall outside the kitchen where the coffee pot is, make it impossible to ignore a problem if you're within 20 meters of the wall. 
a, a flatlining burndown chart or index cards that don't move from day to day to smack everyone in the company over the head every single day. So that's how we arrived at what we're doing now. Google Spreadsheets is now working really well in all modern browsers, and so I use it. I create a spreadsheet for every new project. The first tab of the spreadsheet contains the name of the project, contact details for the team, the vision statement, a list of the user roles with definitions if necessary, and a list of the epics and themes. Then the second tab, the second page of the spreadsheet, contains the product backlog. And the columns that I use in the backlog are first a unique numerical ID, so as backlog items get moved around or you have to refer to them in different places, uh, you've got a unique ID to make sure that you avoid duplicates and such. Um, then there's a short name for each user's story, and this is what we write on the index cards later, so it's important, and it's, it's useful for talking about the story. And then the user story itself, in the format, as an type of user, I am able to do something so that I can accomplish some goal. And then next is the demonstration instructions, which are ideally written by the product owner. And this is just uh, the, the, the basic, basic flow of the use case, which is that the user does this, then they do this, then they do this, and then, then you log in as this kind of user and check and make sure that, that, that the data that was entered by the last user is verified or that you get the email or whatever. It's just, it, it's very helpful because the testers can use it for their initial test case, the developers can use it for, for writing their initial tests in, in test-driven development, and it's a great way of verifying to the client that everybody's on the same page and that you understand how this is going to work. And then, of course, it's useful when you're doing the actual demo at the end of the iteration. You, you do exactly the steps that you've listed there. Then the next column is the priority, where the product owner can set their priorities of every single story from 1 to 100. And then next we have the column for the initial estimate in story points, and finally a column for notes. Then on the next page of, of the spreadsheet, we have the iteration backlog. Initially, I had tried copying and pasting stories from the product backlog to the iteration backlog, but I found the duplication difficult to manage. So now what I do is I cut and paste the stories out of the product backlog into the iteration backlogs. And if for some reason there's a story that's not completed during an iteration, I then cut and paste it back into the product backlog at the end of the iteration. And then the next page, after each of the iteration tabs, is, a, is a, a backlog tab for that iteration that has a graph which is generated, the graph is our burndown chart, and it's generated from a small table that has the working days of the iteration across the x-axis, and then on the y-axis, well there's only one, one row, which is the number of uncomplete, incomplete story points for every single day. And so every single day, I update that, and it automatically updates the graph. But all of that is really only for the, for the remote team members and for historical tracking purposes. For the local team members, which is usually the bulk of the development team and, and often the testers as well, I've got huge pieces of butcher paper hanging from the wall in a very visible place. Most of each piece of butcher paper is divided into swim lanes for the stories written on index cards, and then tasks we write on post-it notes, which we tape to the paper. It's important to use scotch tape 
or some kind of tape to tape the post-it notes to the paper. Because we found that over the course of, of a, a two or three week iteration, you cannot trust the sticky stuff on the back of a post-it note. And you don't want to come into the office one morning and find all of your tasks on the floor. One thing that I've done to help with that, though, is I write the unique story ID onto every single task post-it note. So if a, a post-it note does fall to the floor, it's easy to associate it with the right story. And then the team takes responsibility for moving the tasks from left to right as they work using the columns not started, in progress, ready for testing, and done. And also on this big sheet of butcher paper, there's a big piece of graph paper with a large clear burndown chart, a list of the team members, the team's velocity to date, and a section for unplanned tasks. So if a team member is ever doing anything that's not associated with a story card or a task slip, then they write it on a post-it note and stick it into the unplanned tasks area, which is really useful. It's a great indicator of a project that is suffering from interruptions or poor planning. And so if I see, a, see notes showing up in the unplanned tasks area, I know that I, I need to review them and either identify the source of the interruptions and try to remove them, the interruptions that is, or see what it is that we didn't incorporate into our planning and make sure we incorporate those things into our planning in the next, in future iterations. So then my job as, as a, a as a scrum master is at the start of an iteration, I can ask the product owner to verify that they're comfortable with the priorities that they have written in the product backlog. And then I cut out the number of stories from the top of the list after I've sorted it by priority so that the sum of the initial estimates is roughly equivalent to the team's historic velocity. And I cut and paste those into a new iteration uh, backlog. And then in the planning game, we go through all of those stories. We, we, we estimate them, and then we, we, the team determines how many, or maybe even more than, than I've originally cut, of those stories they feel comfortable committing to in the upcoming iteration. So then all I have to do is every day after the scrum, I update the burndown charts both in Google Docs and up on the wall, which is a very minor duplication. And then the team takes responsibility for managing the cards and the tasks in the swim lanes on the big butcher paper chart on the wall. It's not a perfect solution, but it's a far cry from anything we've done before, from, from using email and X planner and such, and it passes the most important test. Our clients are happy, they get the information they need in a timely, clear manner, and the team is happy, and our projects are a success. So that's the way I do it. Um, we're still evolving, and as I come up with new and better ways of doing things, I'll, I'll continue to share them. If any of the listeners out there, if any of you have any great ideas, if you've tried any of these things and they haven't worked and you want, want to share your experiences, please drop me a line and I'll talk about your ideas and, and I'll, I'll um, consider your suggestions in a future episode. My email address is paul at agileactivist.com or paul at paulclip.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye now.